three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 432. I got about five minutes into the podcast, and then randomly it just stopped recording. I don't know why. Couldn't tell you what happened. Look, for some reason, iTunes is opening on my computer. I didn't ask for this. I don't want you to open. Please go away. Now it's asking a prompt. It's like, I don't. my, my computer is, is going to crap. I don't know what's happening here. Um, but okay, we're still recording. So we didn't lose the recording. I'm just going to keep going. Uh, let me just get out in front of the elephant in the room here. Based on when I'm recording, this will either come out hopefully during the Monday night games. Uh, I If uploading takes too long because the internet speeds just, it, I feel like it's hit or miss here. It could come out after the Monday night game. So let's pray that doesn't happen. Uh, I'm doing my best. It's a weird week. I, um, I don't want to talk about this too much, but I, you know, I, I recently, and it, w- it was my decision, decided to call off my engagement. And even though it was my choice, that was really hard and painful and helping my ex move out. And it's just been a, it's been hard. I'm not going to lie. That's been a really difficult, massive life event. I think you guys understand. Um, but to be clear, I'm not talking about the Monday night games here. Even though it's awkward, you're, you're probably going to be like watching Monday night. Ho- hopefully you're watching a Monday night game. And this comes out and you're like, what the heck? Is he going to talk about what happened? No, no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, next episode, I'll talk about Monday games. I'll also talk about the Tuesday games, plus to Ask Zach. Um, so here we are. Let's jump into the number one thing. This was probably the game I was most excited to watch this weekend. If you know, you know. On Saturday night, the Colts beat the Patriots 27-17. to And this game was validating of what I believe about the Colts, which is that they are a good football team that had a really bad start to the year due to injuries, due to a lot of stuff. They played a a tough schedule and had people hurt. They started one in four. Now the Colts are eight and six. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Um, They're almost surely going to be a playoff team, in my opinion. A Super Bowl? Ah, it's unlikely. Although I will say of all the teams, this is a dark horse Super Bowl team. Like this is, they could win. It's possible. I'm Really hesitant here because I'm just not sure how much I trust their starting quarterback, Carson Wentz. The Colts are capable of beating anyone. Um, and, and this game was interesting. They beat the Patriots without their quarterback, Carson Wentz, needing to be a star. It's very unexpected. I did not see this coming. Carson Wentz was 5 for 12 with only 57 yards passing, one touchdown, and one interception. And the late interception is one of those moments that makes you go, hmm. Because I love Carson. But occasionally he makes boneheaded throws that you're like, uh, I don't know what you're doing there. I don't, know what, I don't know what's happening. I don't know why you're doing that. He made a throw. There was a, a receiver was not open. Uh, it was, it actually handed the Patriots life late in the game. He threw a terrible interception right at a defender. Nothing's open. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, the Colts are up 17 to nothing at halftime. And then this was one of the plays that helped the Colts kind of mount a comeback. And uh, the Patriots fought back. They made it 20 to 17 in this game. And then Jonathan Taylor, the Colts running back, had a long touchdown to seal the game for Indy. He was the star of the game that gave them a 27-17 lead and the victory. Here is what is shocking about this game. Not only was Carson Wentz not required to be the star who won the game with his arm, but it is widely known that when you play the Patriots and Bill Belichick, their plan is to take away the number one thing you do best on offense and say, hey, 
The Colts' best thing is running back Jonathan Taylor. If we lose to the Colts, I'll tell you what. We are not going to lose because of Jonathan Taylor. We're going to take away Jonathan Taylor. And if we lose, we're going to make them do something else to beat us. We're not going to lose to Jonathan Taylor and the Colts' running game. Well, um, New England totally failed at that. And I was shocked and surprised by that. I thought Carson Wentz was going to have to step up. And he didn't have to at all. Again, 5 for 12. He completed five passes the entire game. The Colts ran for 226 yards. Jonathan Taylor ran 29 times for 170 yards and a touchdown. Jonathan Taylor was amazing. And right now, with Derrick Henry out, Jonathan Taylor is easily the best running back playing in the NFL. If both Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry were healthy, I'm not sure... It's a debate I don't want to have. I don't know the answer. They're both great. Can we be? Is that a sa- can we just be happy that they're both amazing running backs and clearly the two best in the NFL? I'm not ready to have that discussion. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is amazing though. He even made an impact on the game when he didn't have the ball in his hands. He had a big block to help Naheem Hines run for a touchdown early in the game. He was like lead blocking on the goal line. He also had a big block when Carson Wentz had a big throw to Zach Pascal for like a, it was like half of his passing yards on the day and a big throw on that game on that gain and Jonathan Taylor picked up a blitz. There was a blitzer that came free. Jonathan Taylor made a key block that allowed that throw to be possible for Carson to make a big throw to Zach Pascal. Awesome. Awesome stuff. I love it. And frankly, this was kind of a sloppy game from the Patriots. They had eight penalties. Jamie Collins dropped, but should have been a pick. I mean, Carson should have had two interceptions on the day. Mac Jones, the Patriots quarterback had two interceptions. It wasn't pretty. Although I will say, in fairness to Mac Jones, even though, yes, he had a couple, he had an interception at the end of the first half and then one early in the third quarter on the very first drive. In the fourth quarter, the guy stepped up. I mean, you could argue he outplayed Carson Wentz, and that's not even really a tough argument to make. He played really well in the second half, making throw after throw, bringing his team back into the game. And now, in comparison, like, you could argue Mac made a ton of great throws. You could say that the best thing Carson did all game was he had three really crucial quarterback sneaks for first downs in key moments, and that does matter. But, like, I thought Mac Jones outperformed Carson Wentz in this football game. Now, Carson is awesome. I really, I I thought there was a a long stretch where he was the best player on the Colts for a while early on in this season. And he's very, very capable. But he does frequently make a couple throws that makes me go, Carson, what are you doing? There's nothing there. Why are you throwing it there? I don't understand. And I I think that's just who he is. He's the kind of guy, he's going to make a boneheaded throw or two every game and a half or so. And I worry that a throw like that is going to hurt the Colts late in the year in the playoffs. That is why I made a list of my five teams I thought could win the Super Bowl. I didn't include the Colts because I just don't know that he can play four, you know, three great games in a row and get to a Super Bowl. I just think at some point in the playoffs, he's going to slip in a key moment. However, maybe it won't matter. The Colts have a, you know, Kenny Moore is playing great at corner and they got a great running game. They're playing great defense. They're getting a ton of turnovers. I mean, maybe they won't need Carson to be a star in the playoffs, but I find that unlikely that they can make it all the way to a Super Bowl without once needing Carson to have a really big game and avoid a negative turnover. So that is why I don't have the Colts as a Super Bowl team, but I, I think they are, they certainly are capable if, Carson can avoid the critical mistake. Now, the only other thing I want to say about this game, I remember this game kind of got me thinking about Josh McDaniels, the Patriots offensive coordinator. And it is crazy how long 
he has been with head coach of the Patriots, Bill Belichick. He was the offensive play caller in New England in 2005. He was the de facto offensive coordinator, even though he didn't have the title. And then he officially became the offensive coordinator in 2006. He stayed there in 2006, 2007, and 2008. Then he took the Broncos head coaching job. That didn't work out. In 2012, he got his title back as offensive coordinator in 2012. Uh, He has not left New England since that year, 2012. He briefly did accept the Colts head coaching job, which is how I got thinking about all this stuff in 2018. He took the job, then backed out, which allowed Frank Reich to become the head coach. And so nine years in a row and 12 years total, Josh McDaniels has been Bill Belichick's offensive coordinator in New England. Bill gets a ton of credit. But I want to say that's an epic run. To have an offensive coordinator for 12 years of your time as a head coach. Dude, (laughs) I don't It's really interesting to me. Like, most coordinators do not stay in one place for nine years in a row. It makes me wonder, what did Bill say to Josh McDaniels all those years ago in 2018 when he took the head coaching job for the Colts and decided to back out? Like, what was that conversation like? What was said there? That made Josh go, huh, you're right. I could just stick with you, be my, be your right-hand man for years, and we'll dominate. It's just really interesting. It's clear that he's one of Bill's inner circle guys. And he's kind of, Josh McDaniels is kind of a weirdly unsung hero in the Bill Belichick era in New England. Like, Bill gets all the credit. But Josh McDaniels has been there 12 years as officially the offensive coordinator, plus a bunch of other years as a assistant, as one year as a play caller, but not officially the offensive coordinator. This game reminded me of when he almost took the Colts job. And it just it's crazy to me that you had these this head coach, Bill, and a coordinator, Josh, and they just have stayed together forever. Josh runs the offense, Bill runs the defense, and they have won so many games together. And I just think an unsung hero, weirdly, in the story of Bill Belichick's reign and of terror over the NFL is that Josh McDaniels has had a huge hand in making that happen. I also, I want to make sure I, I, I mentioned him earlier, but I want to give a shout out to Colts corner, Kenny Moore. The dude, it was an undrafted player when he entered the NFL. He is playing fantastic right now, having a great year. He's a stud. Kenny Moore, I tip my cap to you. You're playing fantastic football. Well done. And uh, the Colts, I don't think they're a Super Bowl winning team. Carson Wentz propensity to have a boneheaded throw here and there. It really concerns me, but my goodness, they are certainly capable of winning a Super Bowl. And they play their best football. And heck, if you can add their team running the ball, playing great defense, and then if Carson has a great game on top of that, they can beat anybody and blow out anybody in the NFL. I mean, I really, I think very highly of the Colts. They're a team that needs to be talked about more and given a little bit more respect. Uh, But I, I worry about those turnovers from Carson and I worry they will hurt them down the road in the playoffs. Okay, Uh, before we get into Sunday Night Football, I saw a number today. Today, uh, today is Monday, what is it? December 20th. Today uh, marks half of a lifetime of LeBron James being in the NBA. So for 6,752 days, he went from his birth to the NBA draft day. And then since the NBA draft day, it's been 6,752 days. He's been exactly in the NBA for half of his life. Tomorrow, Tuesday, December 21st, will be over half of LeBron's life he has spent in the National Basketball Association. I just, 
do what you want with that information. I just find that amazing. I, we're never going to see a guy like LeBron, I think, ever in the NBA again who has the staying power, can play at a high level the way he does for as long as he's able to. And uh, I don't have much more to add to that. I just wanted to share that number with you because I saw that and was like, oh, my goodness. That's crazy. And LeBron shared it on Instagram. That's where I saw that. And I was like, that's a pretty, pretty wild number in the NBA. Okay. On Sunday night football, the New Orleans Saints shut out Tampa and beat the Buccaneers nine to nothing. It is the first time Tom Brady has been shut out in 15 years. It's been, it has not happened that Tom Brady has not scored a point in an NFL game since 2006. That's wild. Uh, honestly, to me, the highlight of the game was when Tom Brady finally snapped. He was yelling at the Saints sideline, looked like he had some profanity there. He, there's a great video where he has a, a one of those tablets and he just smashes it and it's all broken and he throws it to the side and he's he's angry. New Orleans got him. And as much as I Tom Brady is my favorite NFL player of all time. I love the guy. You have to respect the defense New Orleans played on Sunday night, man. Oh my gosh. Seeing a team shut down Tom Brady, frustrate him as much as they did. I respect that a ton. That's great football. And I think the that's the reason why that moment Tom Brady smashing the tablet is a highlight of the game because it really does show how much New Orleans pushed him to the edge and got him flustered and frustrated and uncomfortable. They sacked Tom Brady four times in this game. They put pressure on him all game long. They hit him. They made him leave the pocket. Tom Brady had two turnovers because of him leaving the pocket. He had one where he's trying to run around and run for yards. He got strips that, you know, that ball got knocked out of his arms by uh, Cameron Jordan. He also had one where he's trying to extend a play, rolling to the right through an interception to C.J. Gardner-Johnson, uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, I think that's his actual name. And they just made, the Saints defense made Tom Brady uncomfortable every single play of that game on Sunday night. And the key was they did it with only a four-man rush. Some people might say, what does that mean? It means the Saints didn't need any crazy blitzes to get pressure on Tom. It was just their defensive line getting home every single play. So if you have a four-man rush getting pressure on the quarterback, it means you can drop seven guys into coverage. There's only 11 on the field. 11 minus four is seven people in coverage. And so when you're getting pressure on Tom and making him throw the ball quickly, and you don't have to sacrifice extra players leaving coverage to get after the quarterback, that's beautiful football. That's exactly the template to beat Tom Brady. Let's say if you blitz seven guys, which means that seven people, sorry, seven, what am I saying? Six, let's say six. Six is a better, more clear number. If you blitz six people, five or six, let's go with six here. If you bring six people after the quarterback to blitz Tom Brady, that means only five guys drop back in coverage, which gives Tom Brady more favorable matchups on the outside, and he's more likely to beat you throwing the football. But if you can pressure Tom Brady with a four-man rush and still drop seven guys into coverage, so you've got safety help on everything. You can double-team people. You can double-team Rob Gronkowski and make Tom uncomfortable. So he has to get rid of the ball very quickly and probably throw the ball before he's comfortable and ready. That is the blueprint to beat Tom Brady. That is how the Giants beat Tom Brady in the 2007 Super Bowl. Saints defensive end, Saints defensive end Cameron Jordan had a really big day. He had two sacks. He had his 100th sack of his career. Hey, well done. That's beautiful. Uh, he had the play where he knocked the ball out of Tom Brady when he was trying to extend a play. Look, Cameron Jordan was the star of the game, in my opinion. And uh, it's awesome. Like, they really just 
forced Tom Brady to have a miserable time all game long. And as much as I love Tom Brady, that's that's a ama- I love watching that because watching a defense go against the best, in my opinion, and frustrate him, make him confused with where to go with the football, make him uncomfortable. I mean, that's just amazing, amazing defense. And I will say, as the game went on, it did get easier and easier for New Orleans on defense. Uh, Tampa lost three key players on offense. Uh, Chris Godwin tore his ACL. He's done for the year. Uh, Mike Evans, star receiver, Leonard Fournette, their running back, and also a receiving threat hurt their hamstrings. So Tom lost all of his top receivers. Antonio Brown is suspended. Um, Rob Gronkowski was the only guy left. He had kind of a bad game, had a drop or two. And I really, the guy I felt bad for, aside from Tom Brady, not having his best receivers, obviously. Chris Godwin, you got to feel bad for. His contract is up after this year, which means that now he's hurt without a contract for next year. So he's going to make less money next year. And who knows? If I'm him, I'd probably sign a one-year contract, but that's risky too. It's I just feel bad. Chris Godwin, it's rough, man. The guy had, I, I think was, I think might have left Tampa actually to go chase and get more money if he wanted it on another team. And now he's pretty limited. And in a weird way, it helps Tampa probably keep him there. They can probably give him a favorable contract and keep him in Tampa. But I just... That's horrible that Chris Godwin's going to miss out on a lot of money because of an injury. And, um, you know, Chris Collinsworth gets a lot of hate on TV. I thought he actually had kind of a, almost a brave thing to talk about during the game where he mentioned that we have all these rules to protect players' heads because, you know, that's optically really bad. But one of the things you should do really to protect players is protect their knees because here's a, a thing that I don't, it's the truth, whether you like it or not. I think a lot of players will take a concussion over a torn ACL. A concussion, you miss one game, and you're back in the lineup pretty much. If you tear your ACL, you might lose your entire career. That massively impacts not only your season, but your ability to make money in the future, too. And so um, I think optically and, and also safety-wise, it's great. The NFL has a lot of rules protecting heads and you know con- avoiding concussions and stuff like that. But I think I would love to see some kind of rule, if at all possible, to protect players' knees and avoid certain kinds of hits that... Because the way Chris Godwin got hit was a way that... that you know If you take out your knees, that's the thing uh, an athlete cares way more about. And Chris Collinsworth, I give him an applause. Uh, I thought he was a little bit bold, actually, saying something on the fly in front of a national audience without preparing anything and kind of just doing his best to try to say what he meant. And he even said, like, I'm going to wait till after the break to do this. But he, I think he's totally right there. I, I felt really bad for Chris Godwin watching him get hurt. Uh, by the way, there was a wild play on third and one where Tampa, who would usually run a quarterback sneak on third and one, they tried to hand off to the running back instead. And the guards and the center dominated on that play they were pushing their you know they had a bunch of push up front and a quarterback sneak would have easily gotten the first done with Tom Brady nonetheless who is maybe the best quarterback sneak quarterback of all time but a a defender got pressure off the edge they tried to turn and hand it off that took longer and a defender was able to stuff the run stuff the run in the backfield and it was that kind of day for Tampa like stuff went wrong and anytime Tampa would give an inch or make a slightly bad decision or if something kind of go wrong, New Orleans would heavily make them pay. And New Orleans was dominating on defense with really good play and punishing Tampa for any little mistake they made throughout the game. Okay, let's talk about New Orleans Saints quarterback Taysom Hill very briefly. I don't have a lot to say here. 
number one, I want to give a highlight to a moment. There was a play where the Saints had the ball on their own one-yard line, backed way up in their own territory, and they ran a wild rugby-style quarterback sneak. It was kind of a just a scrum. It's the best quarterback sneak I've ever seen, probably, in the NFL. They got five yards on this quarterback sneak by lining up a bunch of people in the A-gap and just kind of, again, rugby-style, just kind of pushing a pile all closer and getting five yards. It was really cool. I haven't seen anything like that in the NFL, and I, I think that's something people are going to see on film and go, hmm, we're going to steal that because that works really, really well. Now, number two, I want to say something that and let you know, I feel bad for Saints quarterback Taysom Hill. He's finally getting a shot to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And in that moment, when he's waited for for so long, he's got to play with a splint on his hand. He's got a messed up finger. And it's on his throwing hand, which is <laughs> feels, that's horrible. I can't imagine that. Like, you finally get the opportunity you're waiting for, and you got to deal with an annoying injury on your throwing hand, nonetheless. And you're like, well, I'm not going to sit out. I've been waiting for this moment forever. And there's just, watching Taysom Hill, there's no way the dude is at 100%. I feel bad for the guy. He did have a really nice deep ball to Marquez Callaway, up and over defender. He just had a bunch of touch, really beautiful throw. And Taysom Hill, they won 9 to nothing, three field goals. He did enough to win. And I am very, very happy for him. Okay, let's shift gears to... These are three games I want to talk about quickly that I found fun and exciting during NFL Week 15. Um, the Lions just beat the Cardinals 30-12. to 12. And, oh, man. First of all, I just want to say I love so very much the Lions head coach, Dan Campbell. The dude is awesome, and he's doing such a good job building a culture there. I believe in him. And I, for the first time in a long time, I actually have hope for the Lions franchise, and that's because of Dan Campbell. I mean, the Lions are 2-11-1. They probably should be 6-7 and seven or something. You know, they should have six wins, roughly. Six or seven. But they've been competitive all year long. They're fighting so hard. They're in games. They've almost won a bunch of them. And eventually, almost one becomes you should have won. But for now, I'm like, he inherited a terrible Lions team, and they're competing, and they're fighting hard, and they just played one of the best teams in the NFL, the Arizona Cardinals. And not only did they fight hard, they beat them. And by a lot, they were up 17 to nothing at halftime. That's beautiful. That's worthy of celebrating. I love that for them. I love that for Detroit. Well done. Uh, their quarterback, Jared Goff, was 21 for 26, passing 216 yards, three touchdowns. He had zero turnovers. I think that's one of the one of the best, if not the very best game Jared Goff has played all year. And I know the Lions have won a game already before. This is their second win of the year. But it just felt like this was the first time it's really all come together. And we saw what the Lions are capable of at their very best, which is, hey, if they play their best in every phase of the game, they can win. They're very competitive. Undrafted rookie running back Craig Reynolds, he ran the ball 26 times for 112 yards. I love that. This was the Lions at their very best. They're pretty dang good. They're capable of a lot. Uh, I have hope for next year. And next year, by the way, they get back TJ Hawkinson and Jeff Okuda, two former first-round picks. Rookie receiver Amon Ross St. Brown is making plays. He had a touchdown in this game against Arizona. And I think this is something I, I did not expect myself to say this right now, but I'm going to say it, and I, I really believe it. If Jared Goff continues to play the way he did against Arizona for the rest of the year, which that's a tough ask. I thought he had a great game, though. 
if he plays that way, then I would support Detroit not drafting a quarterback. I'd say, hey, fair enough. Jared Goff is your guy. He's playing well. And he's also got a massive contract that if it's going to take a lot to replace Jared Goff because of the money he's making. But if he plays well, I would support that. I think Jared Goff is, again, if he can continue to play that way the rest of the year, I support the Lions with the idea of them keeping Jared Goff and building around him. Because that's what, if you have a quarterback playing well, don't replace him, support him. Okay, uh, the Packers beat the Ravens 31-30. to Got a couple of things to say here. Number one, Tyler Huntley is awesome. He is the perfect backup in Baltimore. Lamar Jackson didn't play in this game. Tyler Huntley played again for like the second, I think it's like the third time in three games. The dude has done a great job. Uh, in this game, he ran for two touchdowns. He also had two touchdown passes. He had zero turnovers. Good for him. He is balling, man. He hasn't won. Two weeks in a row now, they haven't won. But, dude, <laughs> Tyler Huntley is playing fantastic football right now. And here's what I want to talk about. This game came down to the very final play. First of all, part of that is Tyler Huntley playing really well. Great on him. Uh, which, again, I would not have expected. I would not have expected this game to go down to the final play. If I, or, you know, down to the very end, at least knowing that Lamar Jackson didn't play, but considering it's amazing. It did. Now the Ravens got a touchdown with 42 seconds left in the game to make it 31 to 30. And they went for two to try to get the win during regulation. And they're like, Hey, we're going to try to end this game right now. And I like that. That's awesome. Now I want to point out though, I think that decision was partially informed by and, and made because of the overtime rules that the NFL has in place. The NFL overtime rules are encouraging shorter NFL games. The Ravens went for the win there because they didn't want to risk losing a coin toss to Aaron Rodgers and giving A-Rod the ball first in overtime, saying, if, he, if Aaron scores a touchdown, we're just going to lose. So let's not even put ourselves in that position. Let's win the ball, na- win the game now rather than risk giving him the ball first in overtime. And I think the NFL's overtime rules are not perfect. I hate the fact that we can tie. It's not fun at all. But you got to admit one thing. They are making games shorter with these NFL overtime rules. And I think that is their number one goal with overtime. They're like, hey, you couldn't win in four quarters. We just want to get the game over with because we don't want players to get hurt. We don't want to pay people for longer games. And we don't want to be like Major League Baseball and have these really long five-hour games. We want the games to get over with quickly. And whether you like it or not, I think the NFL is happy with their overtime rules because it's getting games to end in a shorter, more concise way, which is why I think they have the rules they have currently in the NFL anyway. They're like, hey, if it took four quarters, let's quickly decide a winner. And if it if it's a coin toss, you score a touchdown, we're happy with that because we want someone to win and win quickly. Okay, uh, final thing of the day. Um, oh, no, there's two things left. Yeah, <laughs> forgot about the final story. That's going to be awesome. Let me drink some water real quick first. So, um, the Miami Dolphins beat the New York Jets 31-24 to during NFL Week 15. By the way, that means that Miami has won, to say, to say, yeah, Week 15. I said, I was like, I heard 15 hanging in my tongue. I'm like, wait, why did I say 15 there? Because the score was 31-24. Anyway, so Miami beat the Jets 31-24. to That means that the Dolphins have won six games in a row. They are now... Seven and seven. They started the year one and seven. And now they've climbed all the way back to 500. They are now seven and seven. That is unbelievable. I can't 
um, believe, I never would have thought that when they started one seven, the year was over. They're out of the playoff race. It's it's done. And now they're actually legitimately in the hunt for the playoffs. I can't believe that. I never would have thought Miami would bounce back the way they have. Um, this was not Tua Tungavaloa, their starting quarterback's best game of the year. He was 16 for 27, hit 196 yards and two touchdowns, but also two interceptions. I say not his best game, but also was not his worst game, surely, either. He's throwing the ball around, making good throws and doing stuff. I, th- I thought he got lucky a couple times, could have had maybe more interceptions. Uh, one ball he threw was high over Devontae Parker's head. That did get picked off. And then later, with seven minutes left in the game, he threw a pick six. That made the game 24-24. That's a killer. Like That That makes me uncomfortable. However, he did make up for it. He did throw the game-winning touchdown pass with three minutes left. Um, and, and remember, he's also... They're playing without their top receiver, Jalen Waddle. So uh, there's a lot of stuff that's been working against Tua this year. And I don't know. I think Tua's playing well enough that you can very comfortably build around him in Miami. If you build your offensive line, you draft another receiving weapon, maybe a tight end or uh, another, you know, I'd love a big outside receiver would be great. Someone to compliment Jalen Waddle style. Um, man, I don't know. I, I really think Miami... The fact that Tua has won five games in a row, you know, started five games, won five games in a row, and they're now back to seven and seven. It's a, it's kind of a dream scenario for Miami. And uh, who would have thought that Tua would be playing as well as he is right now, uh, and that Miami would be back at seven and seven? I never saw that coming. That's beautiful and amazing news. Okay, uh, let me drink. Some, I need some water. I, I'm really, and maybe even some chapstick for this last one. I'm excited. I'm gonna get animated probably. Uh, um, look, a lot of people, I get labeled an Oregon football hater and I understand, I understand why there's like two stories now in a row. Mario Cristobal left. I was very critical of Oregon. They hired Dan Lanning and went, ah, like, we'll see. He's a good coach, but can he get top recruits? I don't know. Finally, I have some overwhelmingly positive news I can share about Oregon football that makes me happy. Uh, and I, it's like, I love when I get the opportunity to say good stuff about Oregon. So it's like, hey, you people that say I hate Oregon, nah, it's not true. I try to play it fair. I, when I see stuff I don't like, I call it out. And when I see stuff I love, like what I'm about to say next, I love that and call that out too. Former Auburn quarterback Bo Nix is transferring to the University of Oregon. Yes, I love it. It's beautiful. Good for him, first of all. He's a guy trying to make a push to the NFL, and I think he's definitely capable of being an NFL quarterback. Like he's got all the talent there. I think he wants more help, and he wants to develop as a quarterback. I, I don't. I, I just, I really, really am excited for this. It's a great opportunity for him. And Oregon finally got the quarterback they needed last year. Like this is going to make Oregon a better football program. And Lincoln Riley is going to be in his first year at USC. Oregon's going to have a really good quarterback, Bo Nix. I think a head coach that's solid. Like, I I don't know. I would really, really appreciate Oregon being a thorn in the side of Lincoln Riley trying to grow and build Oregon, or build USC, excuse me, into a top football program in the Pac-12. If Oregon can challenge USC, that's what I want. And and Bo Nix next year is going to help Oregon do that. Now, I've seen some Oregon fans say that Ty Thompson is going to be a sophomore next year should be and is going to be the starting quarterback at Oregon. They're like, why is Bo Nix coming here? He's going to be, you know, Bo Nix is coming here to be a backup. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think you're kind of silly for believing that. Um, remember Dan Lanning, the new head coach at Oregon, former Georgia defensive coordinator. He coached against Bo Nix for a couple of years. Like he, 
knows what he's getting. And there's a reason why he's like, yeah, Bo, come here. We want you. And uh, again, I love being able to say something positive about Oregon football. I love that Bo Nix is going there. It's good for Oregon. It's good for Bo Nix. It's a great opportunity for both sides to get exactly what they need out of each other. And uh, what I want to see happen so badly, because Bo Nix is like really, I think, capable. I think he's gotten put a lot of good film out there with not a lot of help around him at Auburn. And I, I really want to see the guy go to Oregon and dominate really like put his name in the hat or put his hat, put his name in the hat or I don't even know what I'm saying. Really show that he's capable of being an NFL quarterback and become a first round pick. Like that's the possibility here. And that's what I want to see. I want to see Bo Nix elevate himself and become a first round quarterback. Hopefully next year he plays really great at Oregon. And what I'm rooting for is for Oregon to challenge USC. And I, I'm calling it now. What I want to see is Oregon against USC in the Pac-12 championship game next year. We'll see if you t- uh, USC can get good enough, quickly enough to get there. But uh, my goodness, uh, I'm very, very excited that Bo Nix is transferring to Oregon. Good for him. Good for the university. And I'm excited, man. He can run. He can throw. He's got a massive arm. He's I think, very accurate. I, I love what he does. And I thought a lot of the stuff he's done at Auburn Went very, very underappreciated. So I'm very excited to see Bonick showcase his talent at the University of Oregon next year in Eugene. Guys, that is all I have. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. And uh, I will see you very shortly to talk about the Monday night games, the Tuesday games, and to ask Zach. I love you. I appreciate you. But I'm bum. Bam. We are done.